Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast entering squeaky bum time. My name is Corey Hazelhurst. I'm a partner in propaganda with Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. And we're joined for the final time this US election cycle. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, I, in terms of the election cycle, not because of Patrick, obviously, um, is our friend from New York, Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Corey and Steve. Uh, I want this to be over as much as anybody else. <laughs> Whatever happens, it won't be as mangled as that intro. By the time this podcast comes out, we will be days away from the US election. What should we expect? Stress that this is being recorded on October the 23rd um, at 17.47. Let's go all NPR politics podcast. But that's the time we are recording this at the moment. A lot of stuff might happen in the next nine days, which we're not going to talk about and speculate about. But what instead we're going to have a think about is if you are like me, planning on staying up, drinking a couple of shandies and watching the night unfold in Blighty, what it might look like and what we need to expect. And so something that I wasn't sure about, Patrick, is there's been a bit of speculation about are we actually going to get a result on election night? And there's a couple of things, aren't there? I think one of them is that a lot of people might vote by mail, which might not be counted on the day. Um, and a lot of it is about legal challenges, isn't it? So if we talk about the mail-in voting first, so we've got lots of people have voted already but then there's also mail-in voting isn't there if you vote early will that be counted on election day or will that will we not get the results of those for a few more weeks as of 1249 new york time 52 million people have vote early voted that is 36 million mail ballots and 16 million in person it depends on the state you're in depends on how they treat mail-in ballots. So in the case of Florida, they count them as they receive. And they've been doing that for a while. As these are received in these days, they're counting these ballots, opening up and counting them. So Florida actually probably is going to be a state that's going to report its numbers rather fast on election day. You no, know, the question it will be whether they have this flood of ballots that that come in on an election day, uh, on an election day, and or you know if they have the rule that it's postmarked by election day, that there may be a little bit delay in there. But you'll have a state like New York, which. We're not in play by any means. We are most likely going to vote for Dem for Democratic. Our early voting starts October the 24th, which is tomorrow, and there's nine days of it. But they don't touch absentee ballots, some postal ballots, until seven days after the election is completed. We won't really know the New York number for three weeks until they basically officially um, certify the election. But you have states like Wisconsin and in Michigan, which aren't allowed to touch the open their ballots to check any of the mail-in ballots until election day. Uh, Michigan did push it back so they can start the day before, but it's going to be a couple of days for some of these states that have large, you know, expanded mail-in voting that they usually don't have in the elections to count their numbers. There's other states like like 
full vote by mail state, so Oregon, Washington, Colorado being the major three, but also there are huge numbers in Hawaii and also in California that vote by mail. They're well machine. They will report like they regularly do. So it is not, we're not going to know the result on the night of the election, but we should have some inklings based on some states that you count prior to what, what, it, what it's going to look like. So Florida being the one that will, will release rather early. And because that is such a pivotal, pivotal state, we should have a general feeling of how the night probably could could play out as other states report their numbers. Yeah, because not that we're going to make predictions on this one, although we will, are going to do a special prediction episode for our champagners because that's what they give us money for. Trump's path to victory is essentially impossible, isn't it, without Florida? My understanding. Correct. Based on the polling at the moment, Biden already has 290 of the 270 electoral college votes he needs based on states that are leaning likely or safe Democrat. It's not even a case of... Trump needs to win win Florida to, to stand a chance. Trump needs to win Florida, needs to win Georgia, needs to win North Carolina, needs to win Iowa, needs to win Ohio, um, as well as flipping some of these other ones. But certainly with, Texas. With, yeah, holding Texas, which it was quite interesting is that the, the um, 538, um, who obviously famously have done quite well in their uh, predictions um, for states and things in the past. They have Texas as a toss-up at the moment, whilst the a lot of the other kind of uh, predictions seem to have that as just hanging on to but for the Republicans. Yeah, also 538 have Florida down as a Democratic lean um, at the moment, which uh, basically puts everything out of reach for Trump because an awful lot of the more popular states, which tend to be the ones, well, which are the ones with the, the higher number of um, electoral college votes, are, are, are solidly blue. And so there's uh, only so many paths, really, for, for Trump or, or Republicans in general, really, to get to the 270 votes that they need to win. Uh, and at the moment, it kind of looks like it's probably going to hinge on on Florida for the Republicans. And if they get Florida, say, we're going to be looking at another uh, number of core things such as um, Georgia and also places like Pennsylvania as well, just because those are the sorts of places where Biden's lead isn't un- insurmountable. It's a polling error in some capacities away from, you know, it, it just about going Trump. But without Florida and without kind of taking some of these uh, 20 plus um, electoral college states, there's this it's very difficult for for, for Trump to find a path anywhere. Yeah, I've just played around with the 270 to win and on their homepage just added Pennsylvania to Biden, Florida to Trump and got 268 electoral college votes for each of them. And now I want to cry. We'll get yeah. on to ties later. Um, but I think <sighs> later, much later, um, hopefully the talk about Texas won't seem insanely hubristic. <laughs> in a couple of weeks' time. It, it just feels like a very different dynamic of race, doesn't it, from four years ago because of the amount of early voting there's been. So there was a Dave Weigel tweet I saw, which has an interesting stat, which was in Pennsylvania, 1.3 million people have voted already. And in 2016, you had 95% of people who vote probably voted on election day. And now it's probably looking more like only 50% are going to vote on election day. So if we are assuming that the national polling was genuinely okay in 2016, it was a lot of the state polls that were off. And one of the reasons that's been posited for the state polls being off is because a lot of undecided voters broke Trump's way. And I suppose one of the things that's happening is, A, you've got fewer undecided 
undecided voters because most people have an opinion of Donald Trump after four years, love him or loathe him. And I suppose actually there's going to be fewer undecided voters going into the polling station and scratching their heads and making up their minds. In fact, they can't even scratch their heads anymore because you really shouldn't be touching your face in these situations. Yeah, I mean, I think we previously with Patrick, we've discussed how um, how in uh, 2016, the, the sorry, root cause of Trump actually winning was that independents who didn't like either candidate basically broke towards Trump, um, which all very much happened very late in the day as a result of, you know, Comey coming out and saying, hey, we're opening up these investigations again, which just fed into all of people's concerns and the narratives against Hillary Clinton right from the get go. Um, which then kind of pushed things um, towards Trump's direction. Now, God willing, we don't appear to really have gotten any major serious like October, October surprises against Biden. The closest we've got is this Hunter Biden um, computer laptop um, stories and some the continuation of kind of like attacks on, on, on Hunter rather than anything really to do with, 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 with Joe Biden himself. So... I don't necessarily think we're in a position where, well, we're running out of time for, for, for an October surprise. There's not a lot really left for um, those, for the, for, those, for the people who are kind of like torn, few as they are at the moment, to kind of break towards Trump. And as you say, after four years of Trump, everyone knows what he's like. There are just fewer don't knows this time around than, than previously anyway. Even if, you know, those don't knows do break away towards Trump. Well, it's still probably not going to be enough for him to actually win because uh, the people who are voting Democrat at this point, for the most part, just have very strong views against Trump and are voting just as much against him as they are for Biden. Steve Haynes there looking at fate and just tempting it with a massive stick. The bear that is fate. <laughs> One way the race might also not be decided on election day itself, uh, even in, in some of the days after that is if there are any legal challenges to the result as well. So I suppose the most famous example is Florida, isn't it? Hanging chads. What what kind of thing might elicit a legal challenge, do you think, from either the Trump or the Biden campaign? I don't even want to think about it, but I will. A lot of the stuff, especially mail and balloting, will be verifying the signature that the person that signed it is equal to the one that is on the voter registration document that they have submitted or the absentee ballot application so they will it, they will be throw, trying to throw elections out that people one going against what's called provisional ballots which are the person's not on the voters voter roll when they come to their polling place they use a provisional until they can verify whether it's just an omission or there was a spelling wrong or something like that so it'll be stuff like that there's always challenges uh, related to long lines at the polling place at the end of the day that did, did you know the polls close in this person vote uh, but really it's going to be more around high mail in balloting and trying to um, you know either push them that they were received or postmarked by election day or I don't think you run into a, a hang chad but you're probably going to run into things related to voting whether the person actually colored the little dotted correctly and you know it that didn't get counted automatically and whether it should be counted or double counting there's always these legal challenges but the other legal challenges will be if it's super close in a state there will be recounts you know legal challenges for recounts to try to change numbers and stuff like that and whether they've been counted and stuff like that and any improprieties related to counting it but then it will then go to up the federal court system 
any of the process violated and whether they would throw out precincts that haven't been counted right and all the way up to the Supreme Court to, to agree one, which would probably favor Demo Republicans. It will basically be challenging electoral laws like they've done in Pennsylvania and of other states. And it will be trying to either throw votes out or preserve votes that were counted by, I don't know if they'll be hanging, mess it up again. I don't think it's outside of the way to screw up the national uh, pattern again. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to like the likelihood of challenges, a big part of this is going to boil down to to what extent the, the result of the election is going to hinge on it. So, for instance, one of the reasons everybody was so keen to kind of, um, you know, legislate um, Florida uh, in 2000 with the hanging chads was because it changed the result. If you have some of the places which are like looking 50-50 at the moment, and again, just looking at the um, 272 in consensus, places like Iowa, Ohio, North Carolina, Georgia and Florida, even if you had some contentious um, results there where say let's, let's use Florida as the classic example and again because it's got like the largest number of electoral colleges at 29. Florida had another kind of hanging chad sort of situation would it actually be worth the Trump campaign properly legislating that all the way up to the Supreme Court well actually given where we are with everything else no because even if they won all of those places I just listed and, Flor and Florida was a toss up um, which you might be able to win um, through um, through going through the, the legal system, uh, you know, that wouldn't be enough to put Trump over the line. Joe Biden would still have 290 um, seats in the Electoral College. The overall electoral map is going to be the driver, I suspect, of how um, how much kind of uh, challenging there is going on of uh, uh, specific state results. Because at the end of the day, I just don't think the Republican party are necessarily going to want to throw money um after a cause that just isn't isn't actually winnable like i'm sure trump would love to question every single ballot and every single box and, and all of that but it takes time and it takes money that isn't necessarily going to be easily available their donors are willing to throw money at the election that doesn't necessarily mean they're willing to throw money after bad causes i don't know if there's any good historical parallels now in 1960 Nixon was put off from doing recounts, wasn't he? And that was a massively close election. It was something like an average, like Kennedy won by a quarter of a vote per precinct across the whole country. And so there were probably a few cases where Nixon could have tried to have a recount and challenge, but I think party bosses put him off. Be interesting to see if the dynamic is there in this situation, given as, as we've said, there's when people like the Transition Integrity Project have tried to walk game how this might play out, it basically seems to end in civil unrest. Yeah, sounds about right. We should move on then, I suppose. <laughs> um, uh, the only thing left to say on that point would be that 1960 is actually the high watermark of turnout at 62.8 in modern American history in terms of turnout for a presidential one. So no matter what will happen, uh, I, I have confidence that this will break all records related to turnout. And uh, the one other place you will see lawsuits, because you always see lawsuits, is on congressional level, state level, and on state legislator levels, where those numbers and margins are a lot smaller than, say, the president's numbers. And there's always lawsuits about counting, about from verifying s signatures and stuff. But on the state level, yeah, unless it's really close in some states, I don't. I, I think I agree with what Stephen what you also said which is if it looks close they're going to do it they're not going to waste their time on ones when it's outside of the chance of it actually changing anything what about the senate race then so we haven't really talked about that much on the podcast we have sort of in passing what do we think is going to happen there where are the ones that we should watch uh north carolina 
particularly, they are a state that has pretty widespread early voting, um, but they have widespread mail voting. So they will be that will be interesting to watch. Texas will be very interesting to watch. I don't think that anything groundbreaking is going to happen in Texas, but they are a place that's similar to New York, that it's kind of a little bit difficult to get absentee. So a lot of people early vote in that state. And so a lot of the in-person voting, the votes coming out of Texas are in person. They only had like 800,000 uh, mail ballot requests received. So it's not a large number of the f- five over 5 million that have voted in, say, Texas. The other thing to keep in mind about the Senate and both that and the presidential is that I do believe that the exit polling are going to be not that accurate this time because you can't – it's going to be really, really tough to try to contact people that are – have voted by mail to pick up the phone instead of catching them on the way out of precinct or voting precinct location. So it will be interesting to see how they try to you know, how, how, how accurate the exit polling, which is going to be another reason of why we're really not going to have an election. We're not going to really know what's going on is exit polling usually dictates that can help you do that. And I don't know if we're going to have that won't stop the news organizations from making wild, uh, you know, predictions, but still got to fill time. Anyway, I'd say so Florida, you know, so Texas is for one. Georgia is another state that is a large early voting state. Kentucky will be interesting. They're, uh, they're I think they close at 630 is when their polling places close. Yeah, them or Tennessee, they have very short, short ones. So you start to, should see some numbers come in from some of those states where, you know, in-person voting either early or on the day of will be one. But I think you're going to have some trouble trying to figure out what's ha- going to happen in Gary Peters' uh, race because they, uh, Michigan won't start even counting mail-in ballots until the day before election, um, and they have a, had a crazy number. I think the same thing could be said. Uh, you might, even though he's not going to thing, I believe that Mississippi should be one that you actually start to see some responses that day. I think you're more likely going to possibly see um, a better prediction of what's going to happen in the Senate than you will in the in the in the presidential just based on you know who has marked that they voted and stuff like that but I think every one of those Senate races is going to be incredibly tough and some of those ones are only going to be won by five or maybe as low as five thousand votes I think that's going to be the case in North Carolina I think it's going to be the case in Georgia but Georgia is an interesting one in that in their state you have to get 50% plus one to not have a runoff, which I don't know if that's going to happen in the Purdue Ossoff race, because there is a guy that's polling about 7% in that race. So no one has ever crossed above the 50%. It's definitely, runoff's definitely going to happen in the Warnock slash who's more conservative uh, Republican race over there. The Senate polling has to be really close. There's a lot they're going to be all toss up, and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in some of those states. You've got Montana down as a toss up, which has uh, recently been basically put down as a statistical dead heat. You've got Iowa down as a toss up. You've got uh, North Carolina down as a toss up. Um, and you've got um, the uh, Georgia special down as a as a toss up as well. What we may very well find is that if we do get some shocking results and say maybe we do have some polling errors, but it's actually in say Biden's favour, places like Texas may very well go blue at the presidential level, and that could potentially feed down through to the Senate level as well. But the likelihood of of, of that being a thing is relatively slim. 
So really, you're just looking at the uh, Montana, Iowa and North Carolina at the moment as probably being the three um, states to watch from a, a swing vote perspective. And Maine. That's down. I still blue. think that's going to be close. That's down <laughs> is blue for this. Oh, uh, Maine has uh, also has ranked voting choice, so we're not going to really super know that. Uh, I believe the term that is used in the UK is single transferable vote. Uh, in that in in there, so this will be the first time that it actually be held. So everybody will rank the one, and it will take time for them to tabulate the transfer votes to see who ends up winning. So they do believe that. When it's all so, it's going to be too early, too close to curl, too early to close for pretty much most of the night in Maine until they actually tabulate the transfer votes, which will probably end up in a favor of, um, in favor of the Democrat in that race. That you reckon they'll go the transfers will go. Why will they go to the Democrat rather than Susan Collins? Do you think? Uh, because the other the other independent that's running in there has been been saying vote for me first, but then put Sarah Gideon as your second choice. Uh, like she literally has it. She literally has it built it to built into her strategy. Right. Let's finish off. What happens if there's a tie? Oh <laughs> yes. So if it comes to electoral college and it ends up uh, uh, Donald Trump with two sixty nine and Biden with two sixty nine. It goes to the House of Representatives to vote. And the way that that works is the vote, if there's a tie of the House, would be on January 6th. And the new House gets sworn in on January 4th. And the way that it works, basically, is each state has one vote. Thinking of it as the state delegation. For example, New York will vote Democratic because we have more Democratic congressmen than we do have of Republicans. And right now, it is the number of state delegations is in is in the Republicans' favor of 26 to 22, and two that are not overall control, I believe. So Nancy Pelosi has pushed hard to invest in certain certain districts that could flip them control of, of their ones. Uh, Pennsylvania is an example. They're dumping a ton of money into Alaska, and they're dumping a ton of money into Montana because both of those states are at-large districts. Basically, a senator with a two-year term, basically, if you think about it. So if they flip two of those, it then becomes 24 or 21, and a tie favors the Democrats. I believe the Speaker of the House breaks the tie, I believe. That's what happens if it's tie. It hasn't happened in Modern American 1, and do I think it's going to happen today? I don't think so, I think. And this will be interesting test of another thing of what they call unpledged electors electors supposed to go by the way of states but if you looked at the if you went to wikipedia and put 2016 presidential in there you'll notice that a bunch of other people about seven electors voted for different people that weren't named hillary clinton or donald trump so uh if everything goes the way that they actually are pledged to their one you may get it but it's unlikely but it is a, a mess why we can't um just do like any other country does and just vote popular across this large and very diverse state country i don't know but that's what happens if there's a tie yeah i mean again i've just been playing around with the um the electoral map and in order to basically get to that um that tie trump would need to win every single swing state feasible pick up with somewhere like wisconsin or minnesota and arizona um, that would then put uh, put you at a 269, 269 tie exactly. So the likelihood of a tie is very, very slim, simply because it involves, in effect, um, Trump having to flip two, um, two states. 
away from from Biden as based on current polling, which doesn't seem very likely to happen unless something drastic happens. The other things to watch on election day will be uh, the margins on some of these congressional districts, which you may know a little bit better, and they'll they'll give you a better one. I think it's unlikely that the Democrats are going to lose. The, they're not going to lose the majority in the House. I'm fine to make that prediction, but it will be interesting to see what districts flip. There's a lot of other places where the, where the Republicans are having to defend states that th- seats they didn't think they have to. On the 538 tracker, they say that the chance of there being a tie is one in a hundred. So apparently the, the New York Post says that there's a one in a hundred chance is the odds that an adult showers less than once a week. I don't know if that, that doesn't really help, does it? Or that an adult considers track and field to be their favourite sport. So if you know any smelly athletes, then there's definitely going to be a tie. I think the one in a hundred has definitely gone up because of people that are working from home and not leaving their houses for weeks at a time. We are straight after this going to record an episode for our champagne as well. We're going to give some predictions about what we think might happen, which is probably not a very good idea, which is why we're going to send it out to a small group of select people. If you want to be part of that small and select group of people, Steve, what would you have to do? You could head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne where you can throw us a couple of quid every month to uh, gain access to our, our spicy hot takes and predictions, as uh, Corey just mentioned. Yeah, you'll gain access to those, you'll gain access to uh, unique blog content, early access to other bits and pieces, as well as r- relatively regular champagne only podcasts that we put out where we are a bit more free flowing with our opinions, I think is probably the best way to put it. Sweary. Apparently, people love the swearing. <laughs> Gosh, Making a people-powered podcast. Our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram and Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Plucky Good Times. Our Twitter handle is at NoChampagnePod. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. At Cook 11 Happy plotting. <laughs>